0: 10. It's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, We've got another week of Leviticus next week, and then we'll have our family Sunday there for the church birthday. Uh, But we're we're cruising through at this point. We've gone through all of the offerings. Uh, We've seen... The priests uh, consecrated to their work. Uh, We've seen them um, make the first sacrifices uh, for the people. Um, And we've seen that the Lord accepted their offering, that it worked. The whole purpose of Leviticus was for God to establish and show his holiness, but also set up the sacrificial system so that God's people could once again be in his presence. And what Leviticus chapter 9 shows us is that it worked. And that's so exciting. When, when we walk through our life and we're trying to figure out, as a believer, is what I'm doing working? Uh, first off, the, the, the question should be um, did, did Jesus' finished work on the cross Um, do anything and then the answer is yes and because of that yes it is working there's something very tangible I see it I see evidence I know exactly what is going on this is evidence of the Lord's work in my life and and last week I shared of that light bulb moment when I was a a younger newer believer and we had a prayer chain uh, that we were establishing before service ended hey make sure you sign up and then by the time we were out at lunch uh, the prayer chain was going around for this kid to get a lung transplant and it happened. And it's like, wow, this works. So it's so exciting to see that. And even more so, being in the new covenant, we see and we know what Jesus came and he fulfilled on our behalf, that we no longer have to do this system because Jesus fulfilled this system being the perfect sacrifice. But what this does is it shows us that there truly is a need for for God to intervene, and there's a need for us to be committed to this walk with the Lord. So we come here to chapter 10 and we see the, the first fumble, if you will. We're going to read all through chapter 10. And I'll go ahead and preface as I always do. Uh, there's some names that I can't name, and uh, a, doctor, a doctor of, of the Bible uh, told me one time, he said, I don't have time uh, to pretend like I know, and uh, also for us to be distracted. So I'm going to use initials, uh, because it is what it is sometimes, church. Uh, so now, N and A, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called M and E, the sons of Uzeel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them and their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer, And to I, his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, be well the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and to I, his surviving sons, Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offering and eat it unleavened beside and eat unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place. I am commanded. You. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place. You and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your sons' due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel the thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the lord and it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever as the lord has commanded now moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering and behold it was burned up And he was angry with Eleazar and I, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you, that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. That's God's word for us this morning, church. Let us be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, we come to you humbly, uh, as just asking for wisdom. Lord, just praying that your word would be become clear to us uh, this morning as we look at chapter 10 here in Leviticus Lord, we're, we're faithful, we're being faithful, we're, we're diving into this difficult text, God, and we pray that you would just, can, Lord, would you do that even here in uh, the practical application uh, to our lives even today? So Lord, would you do that even here in chapter 10? God, would you sanctify us according to your word and use us for your purpose uh, today? And God, just show us the need to, to, to flee from sin. God, would we see that there's consequence uh, to our sin God, and would we see that there's uh, commands that we ought to carefully instruct others about, but may we remember your grace through it all, God, that we are, we are not those who are struck down, but rather those who have been drawn near to you through the Son, and now have forgiveness. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the first point, when we look here at Leviticus chapter 10, is consequences of sin. Point number one, consequences of sin. There, there are consequences, right? This seems so basic and so simple elementary, right? But this is something that we always have to go back to. And you'll, you'll notice that in your walk as a Christian, a lot of it seems to be something that you've heard before. And indeed, you probably have. But do not let it become stale. And this point also should not become stale. Because if we do not understand God's holiness, then we don't see sin. And if we don't see sin and don't acknowledge sin, then we don't see that there are consequences, to our sin. You see, our actions have consequences, and that's what happens here, right? Um, I was talking to, to someone yesterday, um, and we just were sharing just the difference in, in school today and what students deal with today versus what we dealt with 10 years ago, and it's a lot of the same homework on time, right? They would give me bad grades. Failed to submit my homework. I failed the class, right? They would give me bad grades. And we talked about how that just doesn't happen um, anymore. It's just you, you don't want to give them that, that failure. It's incomplete. And, and they have an opportunity to, to make it complete um, before an X, X amount of time, right? But even for me, we were right on the, the, the fringe of just everybody passing. We're just going to keep passing them. And eventually, they'll catch on. And let me tell you something. They passed me. They passed me. They passed me. And guess who didn't catch on? Until then, he was an adult and looked back, and I was like, man, like I, I should have just picked up on these, these traits. I should have been a little bit more diligent with my work. And those are things that I've had to overcome, but it wasn't instilled in me, and it's not being instilled today. There's consequences. Yes. I almost experienced that this morning. Ever last night, our three-year-old, she saw my Spider-Man socks. I'm just trying to get her to bed. We had a great summer chill, really fun time fishing. Um, Nora Lopez uh, was dethroned of her uh, championship, her trophy, um, and I'm not proud to say that because I, I still have not won, at least Nora's like one for two, right, um, Kate kept fishing until like the sun was about to come up, uh, Grammy also make sure you get the fish out of your trunk uh, too, so uh, we, we put them, you got them, all right, cool, that would be bad news, been there, done that, um, but last night we, we get Ever home and we're going to put her to bed and she sees these Spider-Man socks that she had gotten for me and she says, dad, where are these, and I'm like, not gonna wear them right now. It's it's bedtime. I'm not wearing the socks. She's like tomorrow, wear them. This one, me miss miss one. Like they don't match, but cool. Like this is my daughter's command to me, mismatch and all. We're gonna go for it. I put them on. She's still asleep. I've got jeans on today, so she can't really see them. We walk into the church and she sees the red one pop out. Right, red. Just it, it just stands out. She says, "You wore the socks," and I was like, "Yes." Yes, I did. And she didn't see the other one. She said, let me see the other one. And I'm being tested. And I said, don't worry. It's the mismatch. It's got the red face. It's a black sock. Don't worry. And she gave me a hug. And she said, Dad, Dad, I love you. Right? And she was so excited. And don't awe because I can tell you that if it wouldn't have been the right sock, everything, church wouldn't have happened this morning, ever would have put this place up in a flame so fast. And the reason is is she had a command that she wanted me to carry out, to follow through with. And I had the choice. And the choice allowed me to face a consequence. Either the consequence, which was a reward, right, where she gave me a hug and she, she showed her affection and her love for me because of my obedience to her, right? It sounds so backward talking about being obedient to a three-year-old, but I was but so much more so for God, right? Because we have this choice as Christians that we can either obey and willfully obey his word or not. And there's the reward in heaven, church, that we are going to get one day. But we don't understand sometimes that we bring trials and we bring affliction on us because of our decisions and our sin. We do things and we face the consequence and we shake our fist at God and God's like, I told church that God puts upon us. God's saying, don't go that route because there's trial and affliction down there. There's trial and affliction toward being obedient too, but there's a lot more trial and there's a lot more error this way. So follow me and be obedient to me. Yes. God had just set up this sacrificial system and then Aaron's sons went and played with fire, literally. They went and, and they, it says in verse one, that they um, had this Unauthor, they offered an unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now, this is huge because it, it's not like they did something God told them not to do. It's just that they did the opposite of what God told them to do. So sometimes when we're reading the scriptures, we're always looking for what don't I do? What don't, God, can I do this, right? And we're always looking for for those. And the reason we want that is because we want there to be lines where it's like, I can get all the way up to this line, and I can step on it, and I haven't crossed it. But understand that God's word is telling you what to do. So the natural inclination, the natural answer to that is that whatever the opposite of what he's telling you to do, right, don't do it. Don't add to what he's told you to do. Consider even Eve's sin is almost like this. God didn't tell her not to touch it, that she couldn't touch it. But what did she say to the devil? She said, he said, I can't even touch it. No, he said, don't eat it. Don't eat of the tree in the midst. So they offer up this unauthorized, or uh, in the original language also is, is strange. So it was strange. Why? Because it was foreign. It was foreign to God. You know what else is foreign to God? Sin, because God does not have that in his nature. It's, not, so it's something he is aware of. But it's strange. It's foreign to the Lord. And the Lord had commanded them, uh, had not commanded them, rather, to do this. And see, church, sometimes we do this with the Bible. We do this with our walk with, with Jesus. As we make things way more complicated than they need to be. We, we make it way more difficult, right, uh, than it ever needs to be. And instead of just doing what the Bible says, we want to just add to. We need a, a little bit more, right? Jesus says to worship him on the Lord's day. So then we start doing the Lord's day and then we, we command and, and force Sunday evenings and also Wednesday evenings. Now I'm not saying that's bad. I, I actually church, I think that there's going to be a trend in the next decade that we're going to go back to Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings and groups will probably be obsolete at that point. I, I think that's a trend. You don't believe me? Look at uh, clothing. Clothing comes back. It's like it goes in, in waves, right? Now, don't, don't worry. I don't believe the Levitical sacrificial system's coming back. We believe Jesus completed that. But I believe that that'll come back. But we start to add these things that make it way more complicated than it needs to be. Prohibitions, right? Instead of teaching self-control, we say just don't drink alcohol at all. And that might drive some people crazy, But the Lord drank wine. Paul says to Timothy, have a little wine for your stomach. But it also says, don't get drunk. So a lot of Christians, they say, we just can't drink. Drink around certain people because that would tempt them. But what it doesn't say is don't drink. And we'll get there here in a minute because they weren't supposed to drink. And we'll kind of explain that. But we make things just way more complicated. And when we do such things, church, we bring about unnecessary judgment on us. See, God didn't say no fire or no offering, but he says this is the fire and this is the offering. He laid out the boundaries and he gave the tools and he gave the intent and so on. And their hearts may not have been in a bad place, but instead of doing what God told them to do, they went and did it the way that they wanted to do it. And offered up unauthorized or strange fire before the Lord. And it says that he had not commanded them. And you know what? Instead, the fire, it says a fire came out before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. And he was carried away by his brothers. They, they were carried away by their brothers. Church, our sin has consequences. And even more so for, for believers. It, it's so funny to me. We, we shake our fists at the outside world right those who don't understand the bible because they don't have the god of the bible living in them but what it teaches us about christians is that our sin is actually worse because if we know and proclaim the grace that saves to be the grace that saved us yet we continue sinning we are blaspheming the name of christ hebrews 10 verses 26 through 31 and know the word and have it is For us who know the truth and know the word and have the word and have understanding of the word living in us, being the Holy Spirit, how can we continue sinning? Because Hebrews, the author, who's unknown, says this, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I mean, consider, consider those words. Trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant. How can we sing how precious is the blood, right? How can we sing these things and then not live as, though, as those who have been saved by the blood that washes us white as snow? Christians must, not maybe, must live as believers. We're in a process, yes. Don't get me wrong. But the word is clear about how we are to live, what we are to speak for, what we are to speak a parent, how we are to rebuke, how how we are to use our language, the intent in which we use our language, the language that comes from our mouth, everything about our life. And see, none of this can happen if we don't believe that God is holy. All of this is about God's holiness and about our separation because of sin and God wanting to redeem his people back into his presence through this system. So if we believe he's holy, then we will become if we believe. If we believe he's holy, and only then will be changed. But we have to be committed to understanding. Point number 2, commitment to understanding. If we believe he's holy, we'll be committed committed to understanding his word, committed to the teaching of his word, committed to teaching his word. So uh, I'll get ahead of myself here a little bit because I just I want everybody to listen because if I say teach his word, then a lot of you are like, well, I don't have the gift of teaching, I don't have to teach, or I'm not a pastor, I'm not in the Sunday school, like I'm not teaching the kids, so I don't need to teach. But we believe in the priesthood of all believers. So the priests receive this task to teach God's people, his word, right? To to commit to showing them what is clean, what is unclean and holy and common, all of these things. So because of the priesthood of all believers, because the Holy Spirit is now living inside of you and Jesus is our high priest, you have a duty to go and to teach people all that Jesus has commanded. Again, we'll get there, but listen up. We have to be committed to understanding. We have to. Because we are not nat- right? we're not naturally inclined to holiness. It's not something that we come out doing. It's not um, something that is in our nature. Paul tells us about our nature uh, when he writes to the church of Ephesus and says, We were children of wrath by nature. But God has, God has made us children of grace, children of the light. Right? We are children of God because we've been adopted by the blood of Jesus. But naturally, even when we come to faith in Christ Jesus, we're not inclined to these things. But we are slowly being transformed that way. But church, we have to be willful. We have to be committed. We have to be um, humble to do so. We see, when the world tells you that you are enough and then the Bible says you're not and you come to that, how do you begin to learn from the Word? Maybe you've been in church all your life and you've heard from it and you think you know and I think I know because I've, I've read all these commentaries on this passage, but what if every time I read Leviticus 10, I approached it in a humble manner saying, God, I don't care what I've been taught. I care about what you have to say. And though your word doesn't change, maybe I had it wrong the first time. See, this was the sons of Aaron. They were, they were not humble and they were not committed to learning. And they were not listening And it wasn't simply the people. Notice, it wasn't the people that failed first. It was the sons of Aaron, the priest. So Moses, he needs to get everyone's attention back to holiness and what exactly that is. So they needed to be committed. Nine, no wine or strong drink. The Lord is speaking to Aaron. It says, the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you. When you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. So they have this, this new command that when they're doing this, that they are not to have any wine or any kind of strong drink. And you know, I found this super interesting, and maybe you all don't, but I thought it was really cool. I thought strong drink, I'm, I had to look it up. I'm like, I think I got it. It's going to be some kind of like 100 proof thing. Uh, the, the Christian standard Bible actually translates strong drink to beer. Uh, which is really interesting to me because beer is like one of like the lowest of contents but really what it's getting at because they're not talking about ipas right they're not saying like the the eight or nine percent beers right they're just it's just saying that whenever you go in there don't drink period wine was very common it says strong drink anything that were to alter your thinking when you go into the tent meeting don't do it and the reason was not to start a prohibition, right? It says that this will be a statute forever for all the generations. But it was for the priest when they enter the tent of meeting to represent the people before God that they would be uh, sober-minded and have a clear understanding and a focused commitment to that which is holy. Yeah. Because if they were to do that, they could become sleepy, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i tell you plenty of times watching the Meadows family growing up, you get sleepy, right? You have a drink. I know growing up and and watching the world that you have enough drinks, and you become, God is saying, don't. And you become not focused on the task which is at hand, and God is saying, don't do that, because this is a very serious thing, and if you consecrated yourself to this job, then you need to be committed to this job when you go into doing this. Again, this is not a prohibition, I'm saying but what I'm saying is this God is so holy, and he needed his people to be committed to understanding and committed to the job, which they were consecrated to, representing the people. They needed a perfect priest, and they weren't going to find one until Jesus came. But God's setting the table. He's raising the bar, and he's showing them that they need to take this seriously. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 9. So that sober-minded, again, you look at that, that's important because it's not dealing specifically with alcohol there. But what it's saying is that we need to be clearly focused and committed to this word by which we were saved. So if this word saved you, then this word will sustain you. And since this word sustained you, this word will sanctify you and make you like Jesus each and every day. So it saved you, and it's sanctifying you, and it's sending you, it's calling you, right? A broken line here with the sons of Aaron. And God doesn't just wipe it away. He doesn't say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this. No, he makes it right. He says, hey, you need to be committed. Here's one way to be committed. When you go in there, don't drink wine or strong drink. Verses 10 and 11. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are, you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. You'll find those, the common and clean and unclean. It goes back to even in, in Peter when it says, Peter has a dream, right? Don't call common the things God has called clean. or um, I'm, I'm messing up the wording, but that's really important because that is why we believe that we can eat certain meats again because this wording is so strong and this was their job to teach people. And the people needed to be committed to understanding because sometimes, church, this is difficult. When we're not naturally inclined to holiness, then this stuff is difficult. This stuff becomes dull. But if we stay sober-minded, we can resist the devil because, church, it is the adversary that is trying to distract us and make us think that God's word is boring and useless but it's life-giving and it's sanctifying. What does this commitment have to do with me? Their job, the priest, was to, to teach the people. They needed to be committed to understanding, right? Now consider, since you are part of the priesthood of all believers, consider the words from Jesus when he says this, and it's all too familiar. We read it nearly every week. It seems like every church, right? But the Great Commission, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of the all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Church, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. They were to teach the people in verse eleven. Of Israel, all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So they're acknowledging that God is speaking to Moses and they're going and learning and teaching all that God has given to Moses so that they may be holy as the Lord is holy. And now Jesus has come and fulfilled this system. And he didn't say you don't need to teach anymore, but rather that all of us, because of the priesthood of all believers, should be committed to understanding and going and teaching all that he has commanded. It is the way that we are to live and it is the way we are to call others to live as well by calling them to faith in Jesus and then that new life begins then and God begins that process on them right then and there. We have Jesus as our high priest. So we have everything that we need and now we are to carefully, carefully teach others this word. Now, we must be, each individual must be committed to understanding. That's not just any one person in the church. It's not like we have one, like, superior believer here in the church. Yes, someone here knows more than everybody about them. It wouldn't be me, because the Lord is working in you all and through you all, and it is so humbling to see that every time. So, yes, someone here is smarter. They would win the Jeopardy for Christians, right? Yes. But it's not about that. It's about all of us together being committed. If you know that someone here is, is the smartest, then learn from them. And there's an area, I guarantee you, of your life that you've experienced something that they haven't, and they can learn from you. But we have to be committed to understanding. And we have to be committed to the teaching of God's Word, all that He has commanded. But the only way we get that, the only way we can begin to, to be committed... And to live a life of holiness and to commit ourselves to holiness, is that if we understand that we're covered by grace, point number three, you see, all of this bad had happened, and it would have been a good reason to just give up. I mean, think about being the people on the outside. You're like, the priests can't even get it right. They go and they offer a strange fire to the Lord. Like you read chapter nine, and it says that a fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and peace and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. We see this all the time in the Old Testament and church. We see this all the time in our life. We see God move. We celebrate. We rejoice. We praise. We say we're never going back to our old way of life. And then push comes to shove, and we go back to our old way of life. They see the priests. They failed. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. God should have just given up on this whole thing. And they nearly fumble again. And he gives grace upon grace upon grace. And they nearly fumble again. But there's a difference. There's something that happened. Verse 19. They they nearly did it again. They had a command and they didn't listen to it. And that command... There in, in, in verse 16, you see, right before verse 16, they, they offer up the, the new sacrifices, uh, the sin offering, and they give it to the Lord. But then Moses, in verse 16, it says he diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering. Why? Because they were supposed to eat it. It was a part of God's command that they would eat it and they wouldn't just burn it up. But they did. So Moses confronts them and he says, why would you do that? It says that is it is the most holy thing it has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement, in verse 17, for them before the Lord. See, their job was so serious that what they were doing was supposed to represent a covering, a, an atonement for their sins. Not merely a meal, not just an offering that, that provided for these priests, but no, they were to do this and symbolically eat And it represented the forgiveness of the congregation's sins. And Moses says, you messed up. And then Aaron said to Moses, behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And yet such things as these have happened to me. Aaron just lost his sons. And we're going to find out later in chapter 20 that the priest can killing the people. That even mourning death of loved ones would have distracted them from this job. in church, that's why this job was only fit for our Savior, Jesus. And he says this, he says, if I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? So Aaron then knows that he's not holy enough for this job. He has seen his sons consumed by fire and sees just how holy God is and how separated God wants to be from sin. See, church, we do. We live in a fear of the Lord, such as awe and wonder, because we know who he is and what he's capable of. We are not to live in fear of God that we will be struck down. And church, we could. We know that. But that's an awe and wonder, not a fear that the world faces, not knowing whether or not we have today or tomorrow. But we also know that what he accomplished brings us grace upon grace. That we don't have to live perfectly. Indeed, we know that we could never live perfectly. But we look to him and the hope and the joy that we have in him so as to not live in fear. This grace upon grace. John 1, verses 16 and 17 says this. For from his fullness we have all received grace through Jesus Christ. Church, they given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Church, they longed for the day to be able to see Jesus their Lord. They knew that. They received the law. And that law pointed to their need for Jesus to come in church. We have that. How can we continue to, to, to go about sinning if we've truly experienced grace? If you know that you're covered by grace, how can you continue to sin? And that's a question we must ask ourselves every day. We have a high priest now standing at the right hand of the Father sitting there on the throne. Representing us. It says in Hebrews 4 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man, if you want to come back up, I want that to be something that just stands out to us. Remember that you're covered in grace grace upon grace upon grace each and every morning church do not think about the day behind and think of all the shortcomings but rather repent and know church that you are forgiven of those sins and make today the day where you will remember that you were co- uh, covered by grace and you were committed to this cause committed to teaching others and committed to the word and it says let us then with Confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, there are consequences of sin, but there are consequences of obedience. If we want to see this land as as a land flowing with milk and honey, it's going to start here with obedience. Those who, who are a voice for the voiceless, are a help to those who who have need, are a bold voice when people ask us what we believe, when we're faithful and obedient. And church, we can be that. We cannot be perfect, but we will be perfected. And indeed, church, we are being perfected today and until we receive our glorified body. But we're not perfect. But use this imperfect body To display the glorious being of our Lord through your actions. Teach others the consequences of sin. That one day, those who are without the Lord on the last day will be separated for all of eternity. Teach them that you are committed to to the word. If they come to faith, help them along the way to become committed to the word and committed to understanding from the word. And remind them every day what we all need reminded of, church. We are covered in grace. We have grace. Fountains is as though it's never ending. It doesn't stop. We think of fountains as, as those in Ohio that turn off because it might freeze. Right? It's not going to happen. The, the fountain of grace will not quit pouring out grace. When you need it, when you realize it, when you deserve it, we don't. But it's Always pouring. Always pouring. So let that be what just just pushes you forward this week to continue going and telling people and continue living even when things get tough. And church, once again, look around you and know that you have brothers and sisters that are also dealing with this difficult life and want to be there for you and also want you to be there for them. If you all would, go ahead and stand. We have a good God and he is showing us new morning mercies each and every day he's reminding us of his grace but do we understand that so as you go out this week remember it remember it remember it it is the only thing church that's going to get you through it is the only thing that separates you from the world because we are no better than the world we've only experienced his loving grace his saving grace and now we are called to go and teach people of that grace let me let me pray father god thank you for for this morning thank you for your grace God, we, we take you for granted so often, Lord, and I pray that you would just light that fire under us again. God, it, it's scary to, to read stories of, of people um, being consumed by fire. a day of grace and of truth. Today is a day of repentance. God, that those who don't know you can know you today. God, and those who do know you can glorify you today. Today's not the last day. This isn't the last minute. This isn't the last second. We have time to glorify you, and we have time to go and tell others of you. God, we pray that as we are obedient to you, as your spirit just leads us, God, that you would lead us to those who don't know you, and God, that you would already open those doors and you would draw them to yourself through the proclamation of the gospel. So God, use us to as your voice. Let us be your hands and feet. Let us serve others that they may see you and know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.